So tonight we're going to start a six-part series on a call to prayer from 2 Chronicles 7.14. And let's read that together. 2 Chronicles 7.14, real familiar scripture. I kind of refer to this as the Lord's Prayer of the Old Testament. And uh, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We know that the root cause of everything that's physically, morally, spiritually wrong with our world, from coronavirus to the common cold and from petty crime to uh, murder to war to wildfires to everything, all the corruption that's in the world, the root cause of it is what? It's sin, right? Creation itself is enslaved by it. Romans tells us uh, all men everywhere are born under the brutal grip of sin. Romans 5.12 says sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's a terrible situation to be in. It's awful. And the awfulness of it is seen all of the time, every day, and in many, many ways. But we also know that there's good news, right? There is an answer to sin, right? What's his name? Jesus. <laughs> Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So sin is the problem. Say sin is the problem. Jesus is the answer. Now look at your neighbor and say, but so are you. Now look at their face to see if they believe you when you said that. <laughs> Jesus is the answer, but he left us here. We're, we're the answer as well. We don't just have the answer even. We are part of the answer. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that God through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the Great Commission, if you think about that, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now you go. And then the rest of it. But he said, all authority is given to me. Now you go. So we've been commissioned to preach the gospel, which is the message of reconciliation, to make disciples of all of the nations, bringing healing in every way to all who are in need. But we're also called to bring this healing, this restoration, this reconciliation between God and man through this very powerful but not nearly as dynamic or glorious or exciting sometimes ministry called prayer, like what we just did. We were bringing reconciliation into the earth, the eradication of sin. We were enforcing that through our ministry. We didn't preach to anybody right there, but we were ministering to the Lord and we were doing the ministry of reconciliation as we prayed. That's what the scripture means that we read at the beginning. If my people say, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So the eradication of sin and therefore, according to that scripture, the healing of our land it's paid for by the blood of Jesus, not just paid for for you and me individually, but for everyone who ever lived, whether they receive it or not. That's how complete the price was paid by the blood of Jesus. 
the eradication of sin and therefore the healing of our land. It's paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's implemented in the earth by the Spirit of God working through His people to do His will. And I think that we as a church universal, the church at large, is falling down a lot in our responsibility to bring change to the earth. I, I really do. And that's probably been in every age, maybe since the first century. The first century church probably did pretty good, but human beings are human beings. So I think that's probably always been maybe been the case to one degree or another. But the only generation we've been responsible for is our own. <laughs> so what's happened before or hasn't, uh, we have no responsibility for. We have no way to do anything about that. But in our day, in our generation, we need to serve the purposes of God. And we need to take that responsibility to bring change uh, very seriously. And here we are praying, so I, I think we do. The world, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the church is waiting for earthly systems to bring change. We're always waiting for the government to do something, and we're mad if they don't, or they don't do it the way we want. That's probably, I mean, other, other people are like that. We don't think that way, but sometimes people think like that. For government, for social groups, for financial institutions, educational systems to change and to bring change. I heard a good friend of mine uh, who's a pastor in Temecula uh, last year when all of the social justice protests was going on, coronavirus was going crazy, and, uh, but there were a lot of protests and different things that were, uh, were going on. And he was talking about how in Jesus' time, uh, his disciples even, uh, were looking for a savior, a Messiah to bring social justice. They were looking for Jesus. They said, well, you know, even when he's going to heaven, he's being taken up. He's died. He's been taken up to heaven. And they said, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel, to natural Israel? And he said, you don't understand what's going on. We're behind the scenes. We're not working in the, the seen realm so much as we are in the unseen realm. Amen. In Jesus' time, they were looking for a deliverer to bring them social justice, to liberate them in the natural circumstances, but not necessarily to deliver them from their sins. That's what people are looking for today. They want somebody to save them in their natural circumstances, but not so much to deliver them from sin. The problem, of course, with that is that every worldly man-made system has been infiltrated by sin, even initiated by sin in some cases. Financial systems, educational, governmental, even religious systems that are of human derivation are all infiltrated by sin because they're man-made. So just attempting to make these systems better, I mean, that's a noble desire, but it's never going to take care of the root problem, is it? It's never going to deal with the underlying cause. So God's calling his church, us included, to return to an awareness of our responsibility to be working first and foremost behind the scenes to see all men's hearts changed and to deal with the root problem. And we're responding again. That's why we're here. Right. And that's why it's important that we're here, because this is not just a you know Christian duty that we should do or something our church is doing. So we ought to be there. I mean, those are good reasons to come out and pray. But God's calling us to bring change. And this is a primary way. Prayer is a primary way that God has given to his people to request him to do things that we can't do right in the earth realm that we can't make happen it's important that we respond to his call to do that and so again i i commend you for being here i commend myself for being here good job harold way to go buddy it's behind the scenes stuff second corinthians 10 3 and 5 talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal 
Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or human in nature, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we're not like some kind of comic book characters or game, you know, video game characters. We don't have avatars that go and wield swords and do all kinds of fighting against evil and stuff. It's here. It's in this way that we're doing tonight. We're waging war. We're taking our weapons that are not carnal of prayer, of faith, of the word of God, of the spirit of God moving us, of our friendship and our life together, strengthening us and encouraging us and encouraging our faith to do the will of God, to declare the will of God, to enforce the will of God, to insist in faith upon the will of God being done on the earth, just like it is in heaven. All right. In First Timothy two, one through eight, we won't read all of that this evening, but first Timothy chapter two, the first part of it there, Paul is talking about praying for rulers and kings and all that are in authority that we may have a quiet and a peaceable life with all godliness and honesty. It's a first thing that ought to happen is to pray. Men everywhere ought to pray, lifting up holy hands. So let me read Second Chronicles seven fourteen again with all of that in mind. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Notice the first word in, of this verse is what? If. It's the biggest little word in the Bible, probably in life. If my people who are called by my name, but again, we're here. We answered the if, all right? We're doing that part. So the then is going to be fulfilled. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Tonight, that's just an introduction, and then I want to talk about if and then. Because <laughs> that if is a big if. The first component of this whole equation is whether or not we will pray. God doesn't say, you know, no matter what you do. Jesus told his disciples in uh, Matthew 6, was it something like this, Don? He says, so when you pray, just, you know, if you ever do. If, you, you notice in the, the Lord, what I call the Lord's Prayer, the Old Testament, it does start with if. Jesus said, when you pray. But if it was an if in the Old Testament, the people of God were a covenant people and it was a big if they were rebellious people. Uh, they were a stiff necked people, but they were unredeemed. They were bought by the blood of bulls and goats, but they were not a redeemed people like we are a redeemed people. And Jesus knew that the power of his blood was going to be such that he could say when you pray, because now you're going to be different people. Now you're going to be obeying out of your nature and out of your character and out of a deep desire that's uh, birthed in you by the spirit of God. You're going to be like me. So I pray. So when you pray. Pray like this. And he didn't say, whatever goes on, you know, it's okay. Just, just pray. As long as you pray, I'll be happy. If you can check that off every week, man, we'll be, the Father and I and the Holy Spirit, we're going to be so glad. We're going to do a little dance over you. No, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. There is a form to it that's not a format, you know, a must pray these specific words, but it's an idea of how we need to come. And so we'll go through this in the coming weeks, but there's a form here. There are conditions. You know, if them statements are a form of logic ever studied in mathematics or statistics, there's a field of study called logic. 
which I don't subscribe to a whole lot because it's not as much fun as just doing what you want. Things work out however it best works out. There's a statement called an if-then statement. If A, then B. If you stand up, then you won't be sitting down. If, yeah, you know what those are about, right? We use them all the time. If A is true, then B must also be true or B must be false, you know, depending on how it works. Training our children. We use if-then statements with our children all the time. If you eat your carrots, then you can have a cookie. All right. <laughs> Making contracts, which is more like what this is here. If you fulfill the conditions on your part, then the other party will fulfill their part of the agreement. So in the Bible, if then, that format is covenant language. God is saying, if you fulfill these conditions, he's not saying there's unconditional promise in the sense that he's faithful, like we saw last week, and he will fulfill his promises, won't he? Everybody with me there? I can't see for sure. I didn't hear much on that. He will fulfill his promises. Humberto's given me the, yeah, yes, he will, because he's faithful. But they are conditional. He has unconditional love, but the promises have a condition. Salvation has a condition, a big one, doesn't it? You have to receive Jesus by faith. What he's done, that blood that covers every single person, millions, maybe billions of people are not going to take advantage of that. They didn't meet the condition of confessing with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believing in their heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a condition to New Testament salvation. Love is unconditional from the Father. But the covenant has conditions to it. And so in this case, if we pray, then he will bring the healing, the restoration, the reconciliation that we so desperately need in our world. Amen. I mean, if you think about it, that's a pretty mild condition. I mean, think about the payoff. Think about the promise. He'll heal our land. In the Old Testament, it was their land. But that we know that a, a New Testament understanding of that is much, much broader. It's everything that needs to be healed. It's everyone that needs to be reconciled. So if you will pray, seek my face, humble yourself, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. If you'll do that, I'll forgive sin and heal your land. Well, that seems pretty fair, even under the Old Covenant. Right. If you've got a Bible or uh, some format of scripture with you, if you look at Second Chronicles six, the chapter before putting this in context, we all know this scripture. Second Chronicles seven fourteen is pretty familiar, but it's actually God's response to Solomon's prayer all through the sixth chapter. Solomon was a man of prayer. He went off the rails later in his life. But he was a real man of prayer. He was a man that, if you'll remember, he prayed. God said, ask me whatever you want now that you're going to be the king, and I'll give you anything you want. And he said, well, I don't want riches and lands and all like that. I want to have wisdom to rule these people. And God said, because you wanted to rule my people rightly and have wisdom for that and not all the other stuff, I'm going to give you wisdom like nobody's ever had, and I'm going to give you stuff like nobody's ever had. The unfortunate thing is that the wisdom and the stuff <laughs> was too much for Solomon, and he... He went off the rails with it. But before then, he was a real man of prayer, a man that really sought God. So we were talking last week about how God is faithful. In 1 Timothy, I think it's 2.13, says that even when we're not faithful, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said even when we aren't faithful, God remains faithful because he can't deny himself. I referenced this, referred to this real briefly as an example of that. In 2 Chronicles 6, we'll start in verse 22. If you remember the story in Second Chronicles 5, they're dedicating the temple that's taken, uh, I think, 
20 years to build, but 40 years, I think, between accumulating everything and building it. A long time, anyway, to build this temple that David had the vision for, but God said, your son will build it. Solomon has now built it. And all of the Levites and the priests and the leaders and Solomon, they're all gathered there. And 120 priests are blowing trumpets and singing, for the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. Suddenly the glory cloud descends, the literal cloud of the presence of God descends and the priest can't even continue to minister. They're just like knocked flat. And so Solomon goes out from there and he lifts up a prayer to the Lord, blesses the people, and then he prays a prayer of dedication. And then he lists off these seven situations and asks God to hear prayers if these situations occur. Six of them, I think, out of the seven have to do with, with sinning against God. But they all have to do with repentance, which makes me think they all have to do with sin. <laughs> that if the people repent after these situations, God hear prayer from this house, to which chapter 7, verse 14 is God's answer. So we're not going to read all through this, but just briefly, if you'll look at verse 22, if a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and then comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilt, rewarding the righteousness. Verse 24, second situation. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they've sinned, and then they turn and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven. Forgive the sin. Bring them again to the land. Verse 26, third situation. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, Solomon was planning on a lot of sin going on. <laughs> you know why? Because he had grown up among these people. <laughs> he knew it was going to happen. He was a practical man. He said, you know, this is awesome that we have this wonderful temple and edifice for your presence to dwell. But, you know, it's all going to be for nothing if your people are destroyed or if you won't hear us anymore. It'll be for nothing. It'll just be a really cool, gold, empty building. That'll be sad. When heaven is shut up, verse 26, and there is no rain because they've sinned against you. If they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, why does he think people are going to keep turning back from their sin, turning towards God? Because he'd grown up among that people and he knew that they'd sin and then God would be merciful and show them their sin. He'd read the book of Judges. Right. He had to as a king. That was a rule. He'd read the, the Bible up to that time. And in the book of Judges, that's the whole cycle is they sin, they repent. They sin, they repent. They sin, they repent. He knew God's response every time he sent judges to save them. Verse 27, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land like we prayed there tonight. Verse 28, fourth situation, if there's famine in the land, pestilence, blight, mildew, locusts, Enemies besiege him, whatever plague, whatever sickness. Then he says, whatever prayer, whatever plea. This is the blanket one. This is the spaghetti against the wall. Just, just throw it all. Something will stick. Whatever's going on, anything, anything, whatever's going on, whatever prayer we pray, whatever plea that we make by any or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction, his own sorrow, and stretching out his hand toward this house. That's what we did tonight. We each had situations we had to bring, and then we all came and prayed around it as well. He says, then hear from heaven, verse 30, your dwelling place, forgive, render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways, that they may fear you and walk in your ways, 
Verse 32, fifth situation. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you in order that the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you like Israel does. Verse 34, sixth situation. If your people go out to battle by whatever way you send them and they pray to you, uh, you toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built. Now he's getting a little further out. He's like not even in the house, but even if they just are out there and they pray towards this, this house, then hear from heaven, maintain their cause. And number seven, if they sin against you. Now, this is the ultimate sin and the ultimate penalty of the Old Testament law is they finally send away all of the grace. He says, if they sin against you for there's no one who doesn't sin. It's going to happen, and you are angry with them, and you give them to an enemy. That's the ultimate judgment of the Old Testament law, is being given over to an enemy, carried away captive out of the land. Verse 37, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, remember what Paul told Timothy, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. If they say we've sinned, we've acted perversely and wickedly, even in that final judgment situation, if they repent with all their mind and with all of their heart in the land of their captivity, which they were carried captive and pray toward their land, which you gave to the fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven. Maintain their cause, forgive your people who have sinned against you. And now, o Lord, let your eyes be open, your ears attentive to the prayer that comes from this place. And then in chapter 7, there's some things go on. The Lord has a few things to say, but the bottom line is in verse 14. So Solomon said, if we sin, if we sin, if we sin, if this happens, if that happens, hear from heaven. And the Lord said the only if is if my people. He doesn't even say if you sin, if you do this sin, only if you do that sin, not if you do this one. If you do that, he just says the whole if is the second half of what Solomon said in each one of those situations. If my people pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And I think it's a powerful response in that context to answering what Solomon put out there. Because Solomon was saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. Are you going to be able to be with us? He wasn't questioning God's integrity. He was questioning the the power of the people's sins, the power of Israel's ability to sin away grace and for prayers not to be heard from that temple. You know, and ultimately they did <laughs> because they just they would not repent in the end. They would no longer repent. But God didn't put a number on it. Solomon did. <laughs> right. If. We pray, then God will heal our land. Let's just pray one more time in closing. Father, we thank you that you give us a way to have a way of salvation is just beyond our understanding and our belief. And we're so thankful. But to have a way to participate with you and bringing your goodness and your righteousness and your reconciliation into the earth. It's just amazing to us. And so we thank you, Lord. Teach us to pray. Teach us to answer that if to humble ourselves and seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, even on behalf of others, Lord, and to cry out to you with all manner of prayer, like you've left us instruction in your word, Lord. 
So we ask you, even in these meetings, other times of prayer in this house, in each of us individually, in our homes and with our families in our homes, when we pray, Lord, we thank you that we don't even have to wonder like Solomon. I think he wondered that in faith, but it was a real wondering. And we don't even have to wonder. Whatever goes on, we know that if we turn to you, you will hear our prayer, not just on our own behalf, but on the behalf of others, that we can bring change from heaven to earth, that your kingdom comes into the earth and your will is done in the earth just as instantly and just as thoroughly as it is in the heavens if we will pray and ask you to do it. And we just thank you for that. Pray over everyone that's here tonight, Lord, that we would have a safe return home, that we'd have a good night's rest, that we would have visitation from you, that we would know your presence all the days of our lives and serve you to the full extent. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.